Hello everybody and welcome to another edition of the AfriCast. My name is Brendan Lotz and joining me as always is Clinton Matos. Hello again everybody. And Robin Lichetti. Howdy. It has been a very busy week and I am itching for it to be the weekend. I don't know about you guys. Always happy for Friday to roll around. Never complain about that. Yeah, pretty knackered. Yeah, it's, it's been a crazy week uh, for reasons we'll get into in a bit. Uh, but before we talk about an event that happened this week, we don't want to give too much away. Um, Robin, you've got some news about Apple's AirTags. Yeah, so Apple launched them last year and they seemed a fairly innocuous little gadget that could be used to track items. Uh, Apple kind of built it as something that they could use to track your remote or your luggage or something valuable that you lose, like, I don't know, a set of car keys. Or but, bicycle. Yeah. Uh, but unfortunately, uh, as is often the case with the internet, uh, people are doing it for uh, bad things with their air tags. Uh, specifically, there have been several reports around tracking and uh, stalking of people using air tags, and uh, they are none the wiser a lot, of, a lot of the time. So it's really unclear as to how prevalent an issue this is. Um, but the fact that a- Apple is taking action uh, regarding it, uh, is obviously cause con- for concern. Um, so last month, uh, Apple decided to update its guidelines as far as what people should do if they believe they're being tracked uh, by an air tag. Um, they're also linked to a tracker detect app that was specifically designed for Android devices uh, because a lot of the, I guess, guidelines and helpful hints that Apple laid out were very much dependent on you having an iPhone or some kind of Apple hardware to assist you. Um, they kind of left uh, Android people in the lurch. So the story written about today, uh, we have links to the Tracker Detect app if you're on the Android system. But kind of back to what Apple have been doing, they have now kind of acknowledged the fact that there is an issue with regards to AirTags and kind of what's been happening on that front. Uh, and they've also now put in some measures as far as an update that's going to be rolled out soon uh, that will give... Uh, I guess, a bit more notice for people that think they are being uh, tracked by a by an air tag. Um, so they released a press statement that read, uh, currently iOS users receiving an unwanted tracking alert can play a sound to help them find the unknown air tag. We will, adjust, uh, we will be adjusting the tone sequence to use more of the loudest tones to make an unknown air tag more easily findable. Uh, they added that... Um, when AirTag automatically emits a sound alert anywhere nearby of its presence uh, it, and is detected moving with your iPhone, iPad, or iTouch, iPod Touch, uh, we will also display an alert on your device that you can then take action on, uh, like playing a sound or using precision finding if available. So again, this is very much Apple hardware specific, which is why we alluded to the Checker Detect app. But there is a clear issue with across the air tags, and then they are being used for nefarious means. Um, so yeah, it, it is an unfortunate thing because uh, when the air tags were announced, I thought it was a nice little gadget. I even bought some for family members to assist uh, with tracking our dogs, uh, just putting on their collars so when they go for walks or when we're traveling with them. And I thought it was fairly innocuous, but apparently not. Uh, as it turns out, humanity will find ways to <laughs> really subvert uh, anything good. So. It's something to be aware of. Um, again, I think in general, the Tracker Detect app is quite useful regardless because it's not just uh, air tags that can be used to track you. Uh, any number of uh, devices that uh, can be actually circumvented and used to, to track. So yeah, it, it is a handy tool to have, especially given the, the current state of privacy uh, globally. So yeah, that's... Uh, It'll be interesting to see what Apple does if this continues to be a problem because there are, I'm sure, tens if not hundreds of thousands of air tags out there in the world right now. And I'm not too sure how you're going to recall all of those or how you're going to kind of handle the situation moving forward. So it is a developing kind of a situation at the moment. This was such a good device for tracking stolen stuff, but they've, uh, they've come out multiple times and said you shouldn't do that. And I know it's because they don't want to get sued. But, I mean, that's what everyone was thinking about for it. Um, I don't know why you'd need such an expensive device to track your lost keys inside of your own home unless you're a billionaire and you have a huge mansion. So, yeah, another thing ruined. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, so uh, I've seen a couple of uh, videos regarding air tags and them being used to stalk people, and it's really scary where people place these things. Like, I've seen like videos of people who've had air tags placed into the like the bodywork of their car, and their um, Apple's app is telling them that there's there's an air tag nearby, but they can't see it. They basically have to take their car apart. So. Yeah, this is really worrying. I, I wonder if Apple's going to keep these on the market for much longer. Because, uh, like, I hear what you say, Robin, about them being very useful, but the privacy concerns are so massive. Yeah, I'm not even sure if they have the capacity to do a recall or anything like that. I mean, they're already out there. I mean, I'm sure you what... can uh, make them useless with the software updates. Yeah, I've, uh... perhaps. I've also heard of some people just taking the speaker out of it, but that doesn't help you on the um, the the what's it called the software side. And again, I'm talking about legitimate use of tracking your stolen goods. I'm not yeah. talking about being the various stuff. Um, so I just want to add there, um, talking about hid- hiding it in cars. Um, we talked about breaking bad, not breaking bad, better course all a few weeks ago. Um, I can't remember if you guys said you've watched it. But there's a quite a famous scene in there where one of the characters is being tracked, and they finally find the track inside of the fuel filler cap. Yeah. So, um, yeah, that that gave me a flashback to that. Clinton, while we're yeah. talking to you, might as well break away to you. Uh, you got some news about social distancing in schools, well, or rather the lack thereof. Yeah. So, uh, schools are going back. Um, they should be back. Uh, there's a date here. Yeah, they should be back by the time you guys are listening to this. Um, these are primary and uh, secondary schools, primary school and high school. And they have completely scrapped the one meter social distancing guideline. It's just gone. Um, they've issued, uh, a, what do you call these, a circular and a gazette. Uh, we'll have links to both of that inside of the story. And they've put in, in place some other measures to try and keep people safe. I'm just going to read some of them quick so we can discuss them. Um Masks are still uh, standard, mandatory, um, but they can be removed for 5 to 15 minutes for every two hours, which is fair if you do it safely. Um, Washing hands with soap for at least 20 seconds or using hand sanitizer. Um, Hand sanitizer must be 70% alcohol-based and it must be placed at classrooms, entrances, exits, and lunchrooms, uh, as well as halls. Uh, there must be good ventilation. That's a very vague term. Good ventilation, um, or windows or fans must be used to mimic um, circulation, and schools and buildings must be cleaned and disinfected. Um, interestingly, it says here no fogging or spraying of buildings. So I'll put a link to all of that, um, and it's just a bit worrisome that you know your kid has to go back and there's no social distancing. Um, there, anyone worried about the line about the hand sanitizer being 70% thinking that's too low? Cause I think a lot of companies say, Oh, 99% or something like that. Mm. Um, the American FDA, the food and drug administration say 60% or higher. Um, and closer to our borders in South Africa, the South African Bureau of Standards said 60% for sanitizers, which have active ingredients or other ingredients, which fight, um, uh, diseases and bacteria and if there are no active ingredients it's just alcohol it should be 70 percent or higher so that's 70 percent minimum that um the dbe has stated is in line with other governmental bodies locally and overseas so there are some um protections in place but it really i don't know what to say it's a bit messed up that they got rid of the uh, one meter requirement i understand that it's not possible to do in all circumstances with the size of buildings and the amount of kids. And, you know, I completely understand all of that. But <laughs> um, I think a lot of people, including government agencies, are just like, oh, the pandemic's over. And they are not saying that with their words, but then they they put in place rules like this, and it really feels like they're saying, it's been two years, the pandemic's over. Um, but it's clearly not. I mean, Robin writes our, um, our COVID update every day for the site, and he can attest this thing is not over by a long shot. Yeah, um, fourth wave, I don't think we've actually shaken off the impact of that. Um, seeing numbers still going up and especially fatalities, which is a bit concerning because Omicron wasn't meant to be as dangerous as Delta was in, the, in that respect. Uh, I do wonder the 
how many schools were actually enforcing this rule? I think outside, outside of maybe high schools where you have learners that are, I guess, you can control a bit more. But primary school, uh, I don't know if you guys have ever done any kind of teaching or anything like that. But trying to control a bunch of primary school kids is now impossible. And trying to get them to stay one meter away from one another seems like a, a, a Herculean task for anyone. Well, even if they weren't following it, at least these guidelines were in place. Um, and also, I always think about it like this, right? If the government is saying one meter and then the schools are like, oh, we'll just do, you know, 50 centimeters or whatever, at least they're doing something. If they say zero centimeters, I think the schools will be like, pack them high, you know, uh, <laughs> pack as many as we can fit in the class. And again, I'm not trying to demonize schools. I know a lot of the time they're trying to do a lot with very little, but yeah, it just has me worried that this stuff won't be followed. And again, this is for public schools. Um, uh, the private schools with infinitely more resources will probably be doing more. And again, that's not me saying, oh, that's better. One's better than the other. It's just it's very worrisome. Man, there's a lot of reasons why I'm not a parent. This is one of them. Um, what do you do with a child in a pandemic? So probably be more in the future in our lifetimes, not to, uh, not to jinx us all. So I don't want to harp on it too much because it's, I mean, what more is there to say the government has gotten rid of social distancing in schools? Um, wouldn't be surprised if at some point soon they say that they're going to scrap it in um, just in public as well, which would be terrifying. So yeah, check out my story to that. You can read the um, circular and the gazette. You can make up your mind if this is a bit crazy or if it's uh, if it's justified. Cool. Well, sticking with education, though, <clears throat> this one's not as uh, doomful. This is actually quite a good story. So yesterday uh, we attended a, I guess you can call it a virtual coding session with a local startup called Mindjoy. Uh, they're an ed tech startup and they have set themselves the ambitious goal of teaching 1 million children how to code. Uh, so Mindjoy does uh, sessions with children ages 8 and up, um, teaching them how to do or how to code in Python. Um, there's also courses for crypto cryptography and machine learning, AI, um, <clears throat> Web3 that are coming in the future. But for now, they, they focus on teaching kids the basics of Python. Um, they use uh, an, inf an environment called Replit, um, which is, is just a, a nice little coding environment. Uh, it gives you everything that you need to see in one screen. Um, it's very, very nice. You can run your code live and see it, uh, see, see what it looks like when it executes. It's just a very nice little platform. But what really struck me about Mindjoy was just how passionate these folks are. So we got to speak to the, uh, the founder, Gabby Immelman, um, about the whole process. She actually was our, our coach. So instead of a lecturer, you have a coach uh, in these sessions and the coach doesn't really, they guide you toward the right answer rather than teaching you what the right answer is. So everything is explained in like a, a sort of uh, document and there are tasks that you do throughout a session. Um, kids are, are, are put together with other with their peers that have similar uh, rates of learning, similar personalities, there's a whole onboarding process. It's just really, really well thought out. And you can see that the folks at Mindjoy have, have really thought about how to do this properly. Um, like the main thing that they, they emphasize in their sessions is that you should have fun while you do this. And not gonna lie, I had the most fun I've had in years during the session. Um, and it comes down to the way that the coaches interact with you, the stuff that you're doing, the conversations that you're having. Um, Immelman told us uh, during our time with her that uh, they, they've seen kids actually making friends and then after sessions, they'll go and play like Fortnite or whatever the latest hotness is. Um, it does cost money to attend this. It costs 1,000 Rand a month, although Mindjoy says that they have partners with corporates who purchase memberships for children from underprivileged backgrounds. Um, the membership gives a child access to unlimited open training sessions and weekly scheduled sessions. So essentially, your child can hop on and start coding and making things uh, based off of the session that they learned the previous week. Um, it's, it's really, really good. Uh, it is a lot of money, I understand. 1,000 Rand is, is, is not cheap. However, I think the way that this is presented, it's a really fun way to introduce kids to coding. Um, and it serves as a nice baseline for them to break off and, and perhaps do more. Um, as regards 
people that are older than children, um, they said that they are thinking about entering that space, but they don't have any hard plans yet. And that makes sense. This is a course that's really designed for, for to capture the attention of children. Um, but yeah, you can read our full uh, write-up about this over on the site. We'll have a link down below. Um, and yeah, it's a very, very cool little startup. I was, I was blown away and had so much fun yesterday. Brendan, um, yeah. is that an environment where they teach the programming? Is it actual code based or is it visual based where you like drag and drop containers? It's all code based. So ah, it's all cool. you have to write everything, um, which I personally think is better because it teaches you things like syntax, syntax, um, why things happen the way they do, why error, where to find errors, that sort of thing. I think, I, I just think it's better than the visual approach. Yeah, it's, I've, I see a lot of the like starter stuff is um, visual based, and I don't know how well it um, how well it translates. I'm obviously not an expert, even though I was a programmer at some point. I don't know, you know, I'm not a hardware development <laughs> expert. Yeah. I don't know if that stuff actually will then become coding knowledge. But that this sounds really cool, and a thousand rand a lot is a lot during a month. But if it's if it's as much as you want, I, I can kind of see it like being justified but mm. sounds cool i mean there's a lot that you can do right they showed us a video where kids like make their own games and some of them are actually really impressive it's it's just a really good solution like as i say solution it's a really good business um i think if you have a kid that's eight years and up um and they've shown a bit of interest in in programming or, i mean I, I don't think eight-year-olds are like oh i want to become a database administrator um, but if they've shown an interest in games or technology at all, it might be a good thing to show to introduce coding to them and show them how to make apps and stuff. Um, but yeah, check it out. Mindjoy, really cool little company. Um, okay, so from really cool little company to really big company based in South Korea, this week Samsung announced its S22 series of smartphones. Robin, you attended the South African event. Do you want to give us a rundown of what was announced? Yes, uh, as you said, there's a South African launch. Uh, I think it's the first in-person launch that Samsung has done in over two years, which might not really be that impressive as far as our listeners are concerned. <laughs> but for local media, it is a pretty big deal considering <laughs> everything has been virtual or online in some f formal guise over the past few years. So like you said, uh, the new Galaxy S22 series was released, or rather unveiled, and it was probably, it's probably one of the worst kept secrets these days as far <laughs> as Galaxy Impact events go. The serial leakers have all the information up line, online, which doesn't really help us uh, in trying to, to uh, cover the stories, but uh, we, we have to carry on regardless. Anyway, uh, there are three devices that uh, were showcased on the, on the phone side of things. That's the Galaxy S22, the S22 Plus, and the S22 Ultra. Uh, this is, a, I guess, a, a naming convention as far as models are concerned that Samsung have been doing for a couple of years now. So there were no real surprises on that front. Uh, probably the most noteworthy element, uh, excuse the pun, is that the S22 Ultra now features an S Pen stylus akin to the Galaxy Note that we unfortunately did not see at the end of last year, but uh, that most people will be familiar with. So the S22 Ultra looks far different uh, than the S22 and S22 Plus. Uh, we're not just talking about dimensions here. The actual design is more akin to the Galaxy Note with more rounded edges uh, of the frame of the device. Uh, it obviously is larger. And then the S Pen is recessed into the frame of, of the phone like the Galaxy Note normally does. So this isn't like the, the Z Fold of last year, which had a, it was S Pen compatible, but the, the, the S Pen was separate from the device. You had to f find some way to holster it. Uh, and you can actually carry it with you on the actual phone itself. So it's nice that Samsung have listened to someone who has said that it needs to be reset into the frame because that's something we've been calling for for some time now. Uh, as far as the devices go, uh, they are set to go on sale in South Africa on 11th March. Uh, there's already a pre-registration process uh, on Samsung's local website as well as a few key retailers. Um, but the pre-registration isn't pre-order. So pre-orders go live on 1st March, and then you'll be able to kind of peruse all the different pre-order bundles. It looks like a combination of Galaxy Buds, uh, 
uh, and uh, an additional accessory is what most retailers are going to be doing. So yeah, that's the new yeah, Galaxy S22 series as far as the local details are concerned. Um, some of the key elements uh, from a design perspective or rather a specification perspective is uh, on the display side, things are pretty much the same as they were with last year. Um, internally, however, uh, Samsung have switched out their foundries. Uh, now they are exclusively featuring Qualcomm Snapdragon 8 Gen 1 processors across the board. Uh, which is a new 4 nanometer processor. So normally what happens is uh, Samsung's own Exynos brand, which, which usually would usually feature in the South African models of Galaxy S devices. That is no longer the case. Uh, as to why Samsung made the switch, they weren't, uh, they weren't really forthcoming on that front. Um, but I'm assuming it's the fact that perhaps the Exynos range hasn't caught up to where Qualcomm is at the moment. So that's kind of the reason for the shift there. Um, as far as the pricing for the devices go, uh, the S22 uh, is at 19,999 Rand, the S22 Plus is 22,999 Rand, and the S22 Ultra is 28,999 Rand, and that's for the 256 gigabyte storage models. Um, and yeah, the, the price difference compared to last year, um, it depends on which model it is, but it ranges from 1,000 to 2,000 Rand. So, Make with that what you will. Um, and yeah, uh, I don't know if you guys have any, I'm sure you guys have plenty of questions about the devices. So I, I'm going to start, sorry. <laughs> I'm wrestling right. here. But the fact that Samsung isn't using, using Exynos is really odd to me because uh, back in January, they announced that they had partnered with uh, AMD to use its RDNA 2 architecture in its Samsung Eclipse, Xclipse, sorry, GPU. Um, and they said that that chip was in production. So the fact that they're not using Exynos in this is just really odd to me, especially if that chip is in production. Like why? Uh, uh, maybe we'll see this later in the year with the folding phones, uh, which concerns me because those phones are a massive premium, which means that this AMD RDNA 2 architecture might only reach like the S series in a year, maybe two years time. Yeah, it is an odd move. Um, I would assume that perhaps uh, Samsung's foundry just isn't able to cope under the pandemic. Fair they enough. have, for their quarterly projections, they have kind of advised that uh, chip and component shortages will still affect them. That said, they have been quite good as far as getting devices out. I mean, every other month or every month we are seeing new Samsung phones hit the market and yeah. they have, I guess continue to secure their number one spot globally as far as smartphone vendors go. So, I'm sh yes, they, are, they have had their struggles, as have most smartphone companies, but they, they seem to be excelling throughout the pandemic. Yeah. So it, it, it was a really interesting move. I think the fact that they were pretty mum as to why they, they made the switch uh, completely to, to Qualcomm is a bit telling. I think it might also have to do with the fact that uh, a lot more Google uh, integration is happening for the Galaxy S series, mm. and obviously we know that Google and Qualcomm are quite tight, quite strongly, quite strongly interlinked there. So, yeah, I wouldn't be surprised if that's potentially part of the reason why Qualcomm is is featured heavily here. Yeah, your yeah. reasoning makes sense. Sorry, Clinton, you wanted to say. This really sounds like something they had to do, not something they necessarily wanted to. Yeah, well, I mean, the architecture, the, the four nanometer process. I mean, uh, not to get too bogged down in in the in the details of it, but it is a pretty uh, significant step forward as far as architecture goes. So I'm I'm assuming that the the Samsung foundry isn't quite there yet, but they wanted to ensure that the the S series has the latest and best as far as processors go. Yeah, uh, it makes sense. Consolidate your. Uh your your socks into one brand even if just for one generation i'm sure that helps in terms of the um the uh, semiconductor shortage pressure on its own foundry your reasoning your re your reasoning has been approved robin <laughs> <laughs> um but you were saying clinton sorry i think yeah, it's, it's i am um, not to be uh i don't know not to be that guy, but wh why should I care about this stuff? Not not the whole chip stuff. I, I honestly do care about that uh, tech journalist perspective. Uh, why should I care about this as a consumer? Because 
I read all the stories that you wrote, Robin. I didn't watch the um, the event because I, I don't have time for that. Um, but I, I read all your stories and I just read it and I thought, yeah, it's just new phones. Uh, this looks like every other phone that they announce every year. And I'm sure they'll be very angry if I told that to their faces. Uh, but thankfully, this is a, an audio-only medium. Um, so wh- why should I care? I-, I found nothing in the announcements that got me excited about this at all, um, especially not the price tags. So you ask a interesting question. Uh, it's one that I had myself during the entire presentation because Samsung, we already know Samsung make pretty solid flagship phones and that's pretty difficult to dispute. Yeah. So I think Samsung also suffers from the same problem that Apple does with the iPhones. Uh, the iterative nature of these releases means that there's very little difference between one generation to the next. Mm. So from that perspective, I fully understand what you're asking. Um, why you should care about it? Um, well, I guess for flagship phone fans, uh, it really kind of boils down to the fact that there aren't a, re- a lot of really great Android options at the moment. We've seen Huawei fall away to the, to the wayside a little bit. We have a number of different Chinese vendors that are kind of vying for that spot now that Huawei has exited slightly. Um, and with Samsung, you know what you're getting. And the fact that they are uh, intensifying their, their uh, collaboration with Google means that from an Android perspective, you're pretty much sorted. So I think that's potentially the only reason to, to, to really care is that you kind of know exactly what you're getting and there's nothing really to worry about. Um, that said, uh, we have never had a full-on review of these devices yet. We've only had hands-on experiences for now. But my early verdict is that if you have an S21, the, the, the reasons to upgrade are slim at the moment. Mm-hmm. Um, outside of the S Pen on the Ultra, there isn't really anything to really sit up, make me sit up and say, wow, okay, that re- seems really cool. There were a few elements during the presentation where they showed the S22 Ultra working in tandem with the Galaxy Tab S8 Ultra, which is one of, one of the tablets, one of the three tablets that they announced on the day as well. And that was a really cool in that one moment, but I don't know how much of, of, a, of a selling feature that's going to be. Um, so yeah, like back to, I guess, closer to your question, why should you care? You should only care if you are fully invested in the Android ecosystem uh, and you want the best Android phone on the market, which will probably be the S22 by the end of the year. It really feels like, um, for the past like five years or even more than that, these companies are working on the model that we're not going to make new phones to get people excited and into the stores. We're going to make new phones because eventually your phone that you have will die and you'll need to replace it. And when you walk into the store, there'll be one for you to buy. It really feels like that's their business model. And maybe that's what's making them the most money. But it, it feels like the days of them making stuff to, to excite us and to get us into the store in the first place, even if we have a functioning phone, I feel like those days are just over. And maybe that's unfair because the pandemic is coming on on like three years of this affecting our lives and the, um, the foundries and the chip shortages and everything. But I feel like these problems were around uh, way before uh, COVID-19 happened. So. I think they've just shifted into this business model that is probably making them a lot of money, but is not exciting me and is not having me open my wallet, to be perfectly honest. So, yeah, maybe I'm just not the target audience. Maybe I'm not the target consumer. Um, Maybe Samsung, uh, if I ask the question, why should I get excited? Samsung will tell me, well, you shouldn't. (laughs) When you need a phone, you can get this. It'll be very good. And be like, okay, fair enough. (laughs) So, yeah. uh, yeah, to do some marketing there, some uh, their job for them, Robin. But yeah, I think it's important. They're going to put out. How long was this event? It was like more than an hour, right? No, yeah, forty-five minutes to an hour. Yeah. I think. They're going to say, "Come look at our new stuff for forty-five minutes." Um, at least make it exciting. And you know, to me, it doesn't sound very exciting. And well, I think it was pretty telling that the fact that. The vast majority of the presentation when it came to the phones was really around 
the AI and camera tick. So, well, I mean, you, you need to create one little feature that's good for headlines and then you got to harp on it, right? Again, I, I don't want to sound so dour, but I mean, when these things cost the same price as a good used car, I have to ask these prices and uh, I've been giving really dissatisfying answers. Uh, again, it's not a new, Robin. Uh, before we did the podcast, I, I read up on all of this myself and from reading their marketing material, this is what they gave to me basically and it's uh yeah not very excited from my side not to be a downer so yeah i hear what you're saying it's just that uh and i'm fully in agreement with you that galaxy unpacked events used to be really exciting because samsung used to kind of push and not to sound too grandiose but they used to kind of push the boundaries as far as phones went they kind of kicked off the whole phablet craze with the note and i think that kind of innovation is it's too risky these days. That I think it's probably better to play it safe and pack as many of the best specs as you can into a phone that retails for between twenty and twenty and twenty five thousand rand. So um, I have a. I, sorry, I'm, I'm jumping in here because I have right. a bit of a. I have a bit of a thought about why things are so boring at Samsung, and my thought is that uh, it's because nobody's really challenging them. Um, if you look at like the big phone brands that used to challenge Samsung, they're all gone. So looking at counterpoint research, uh, data from February 8th, 2020, um, in Q4, 2021, uh, Apple had 22% of the global smartphone share. Uh, Samsung had 18% and Xiaomi was the next closest with 12%, Oppo with 9%. Vivo with 8%, and then the rest of the market, 31%. Now, I don't know about you guys, but that doesn't sound like a very healthy market. Well, I agree with you, Brendan, but I think, again, I can only talk to South Africa because I live here, um, but I feel like a lot of people are not even looking at Samsung's just because the price is so high, and they would much rather get one of the cheaper Chinese phones that Robin was talking about. So it, I understand no one's challenging them in the high end and no one's challenging them in the mid to high end range. Um, but I think in everything mid and down, especially the budget market, they are being challenged. And I don't say they're losing because again, I don't have access to these things, but just from speaking to people and seeing what happens online, I think South Africans get much more excited about the cheaper options that do exist and Samsung is being challenged in. But again, maybe Samsung doesn't see it that way. Maybe in their minds, they are, a high-end or a mid to high-end um, company and that's who they're serving. And again, maybe they're making lots of money doing that. So yeah, so, I, I definitely see what you're coming from there. So my concern also rests on the, the fact that if you look at somebody like Huawei, right? So when Huawei released a new phone, would have on-device AI, a camera from Leica, whatever. And then there would be some, some big name feature that ultimately another manufacturer would copy. Um, for instance, Huawei releases a phone with a ridiculous amount of, of zoom. Next year, Samsung has a similar solution. Um, but what Huawei was really good at was introducing a, a kind of landmark feature into their, <clears throat> into their, their premium high-end smartphone. And then within a generation, bringing that functionality to the mid and or to the mid range. And then a year after that, bringing it to the low end or the entry level. I, I don't know if Samsung is doing that well enough. And yeah, I think always... my concern is that the innovation in that sense is kind of stopped to the point where it's like we can just drip feed our customers minor innovations at the high end. And then in, in two years time, we'll start bringing it into the mid, the mid series. Yeah, I think we've talked about it a lot in this podcast. Every time these big new phones come out and they cost the price of a car, we say, yeah, but the, the mid-range is where all the cool stuff's happening and where your best bang is for the buck is. I, again, I don't have access to the numbers. I don't work for these companies, but I'm pretty sure that's where a lot of their money is being made. That's why they have to price things so competitively. And I know Samsung has the, um, uh, what do you call it, the A-range? Or, yeah, the A-range is the middle. Is it the core range, which is the cheaper ones? Anyway, whatever. They, they do offer mid-range phones, but... If you look at their specs compared to, again, some of those Chinese competitors, it's not even a question. I don't know why you would buy a mid-range 
Samsung phone. And that's not me trying to shame people for not having a million dollars to spend on a phone. I'm just saying that there's much better deals out there and there's no reason to do it except maybe Samsung loyalty. Um, so, yeah. I, well, I, I, I think to that point, it, you kind of know what you're getting with Samsung. And mm. as much as I hate to admit it, although we as journalists are willing to potentially take a risk on a relatively unknown Chinese brand that doesn't necessarily have a huge after-sales ecosystem in South Africa, the general consumer probably isn't. And you walk into any networks store, any kind of phone shop, the two brands that are catered to are Apple and Samsung. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I've even, I'm, I'm a bit of a hypocrite because I'm saying, oh, these phones are so great, such value for money. But I'm using an Oppo right now and I'm very happy with it until I have to deal with some of those niggles. Like you said, do you know how long it to- took me to find a phone case for this thing? Now, granted, a nice phone case came in the box, but it was one of those see-through ones that gets really dirty and starts to go, gr- uh, not gray, it starts to go like yellow over time. So I needed to replace that and I had to buy a very expensive body glove one and it had to be delivered uh, through Raru and it took a long time. And then I don't even know what I'm going to do if I drop this phone and it gets a crack. What do I do? Who do I take it to? The local guys who own like a, a mom and pop phone shop near me, they're not going to have a replacement screen for this thing. Um, and even if I found a replacement screen and I like brought it to them, because I think some of them offer that service where you bring the replacement part and they'll do it for you, they might not know how to install it on this Oppo. So 100% uh, I agree with you, Robin. You, you pay more upfront and then you're hopefully going to not get that money back, but you're going to get some value for your money in uh, other avenues like accessories, like replacements. And that stuff's important, especially because we never recommend buying a new phone every year. Um, my personal recommendation is use your phone until the wheels fall off, uh, metaphorically. So, yeah, I completely understand that um, that, uh, that line of thought. And also, again, brand loyalty. I may, I may have mentioned it earlier and I was kind of dismissive, but Brand loyalty isn't always a bad thing because, you know, life's complicated. You just want to buy something and you want it to work and you want it to be familiar. And I've never begrudged people for saying that. And I'm, even though I have a lot of um, problems with a, a company like Apple, which I think overcharge for everything, completely understand that you just want a product that you're familiar with and you want to go to the iStore that's closer to your house and you want them to fix something for you or you know to give you the warranty or whatever you don't want to have to mess with a phone you've never heard of and you don't want to have to import a phone cover from raru you just want everything to work as intended so yeah i completely understand that and again maybe i have more time on my hands because of this job to look at specs and to price compare and to do all of that stuff and a lot of people don't so something i want to just switch to is something that was oddly missing or that I noticed was missing from the presentation and that was mention of any new wearables from Samsung now I know there's likely going to be a uh, another unpacked later this year and maybe we'll see a new Galaxy watch um, and some new earbuds but Robin did, did you notice or did Samsung address that there was, weren't any wearables at this event uh, so they didn't make mention of the fact that or rather why there wasn't any wearables. But what they did was I think they focused more on the software side of things. So there was a rather lengthy portion of the presentation that was dedicated to uh, One UI 4, which is, I guess, for lack of better terms, is a Samsung's kind of interoperability layer. Mm. So, uh, so it's different devices can communicate and collaborate with one another. Uh, apologies for using marketing language. Um, yeah, so, so I think that's probably why they uh, potentially shied away from it. Um, we've also got to remember, I mean, the Galaxy 4 series, uh, the Galaxy 4 Watch, well, Watch 4 series, apologies, mm-hmm. um, that was only just released and only now is getting some of the deeper collaboration as far as uh, Google is concerned. So I think that they're probably still trying to get the software side of things down before they probably ready to launch a, another wearable. But I think there already are quite a few Galaxy Buds already, different iterations on the market. So is it really worthwhile launching another one right now? Well, I mean, they, they could because they've done <laughs> it before. <laughs> I mean, that's I think why I found it odd. They might, uh, 
for one of them, I can't remember which generation of them, but they can make them like pre-order bonuses and stuff like that to kind of uh, sweeten the pot for people who are buying it. And also people who are buying it, um, people with a lot of money. They're like, I'm buying a new phone, might as well buy some new buds. Why not? Yeah, I would recommend buying some other earbuds just from my personal standpoint. I'm not a fan I'm still, of the Galaxy Buds. I'm still disappointed they, they don't look like beans anymore. No, that was the worst design ever. They yeah, but it was out of my ears. Yeah, but it was had, fun. Yeah, but if you had weird <laughs> ear shapes, it was just like, no, sorry, you can't use these. It's Imagine just... if they leaned into them and actually called them the Samsung beans. They should have. I mean, it's so... So internally, great. if you take them apart, one of the components does say bean on it. So oh, don't joke. That's I'm not great. joking. There's a Love that. video. I'll send it to I've you. I've never seen that. <laughs> um, okay, so we also mentioned in passing the uh, the tablet, which I thought was an interesting move. But what I also don't understand is why they didn't include the stylus in that tablet. It seems geared for something like that. Um and also the notch I found was weird, given that they, they're going for the uh, pinhole camera in everything else. Uh, Robin, did you get to play with the, the tablet at all? Did you Was it impressive? Was it okay? What, what did you think of it? Yeah, the tablet's pretty solid. Um, I always find that when companies try and build their tablets as being productivity-focused devices mm. or comparable to a notebook or PC, I get a little bit worried because a lot of the times on the OS side of things, there just simply isn't enough power. Mm. Uh, I think iPad OS has struggled with that a long, for a long time. Uh, so apologies for saying Apple on the bus there. <laughs> uh, but yeah, uh, we, we did get to try it out. Um, <laughs> we, we, we were lucky enough to get a preview where we got to interact with all the devices wearing latex, latex gloves, which was interesting. <laughs> um, but yeah, as far as the hardware uh, is concerned, it, it looks pretty solid. I think the reason for the uh, the notch uh, is, is simply down to the fact that they probably haven't nailed down on how to embed the size of megapixel camera that they're using because they are hoping that this is actually a business-focused device. So they're wanting people to actually do their video calls on the the tablet. So it has to have a high-resolution uh, camera up front. Okay. Uh, and also... It's sporting some pretty decent uh, cameras on the back, although I really hate it when people <laughs> take photos use their tablets. The tablets. To it, it, it baffles me. Um, so yeah, um, as far as the hardware is concerned, again, really, really solid across the board. Um, I do wonder though whether or not it's going to be used for collaboration as Samsung are billing it because there was a lot of Windows uh, integration mm. that was mentioned in presentation. Um, thing is though if if you are wanting to collaborate between a windows device and a tablet why not just reach for one of the surface devices that are now available in south africa it's so those yeah. things cost like 100 grand <laughs> god they're so expensive yeah well, i mean the, the tab is it isn't uh cheap by any stretch i think the if i remember correctly the tab is it ultra comes in at 29,999 Rand. <gasps> and yeah. You can buy a good laptop and then I, you don't have to. That was buy a laptop, to say. You can buy a laptop with a graphics card for that much, a gaming laptop. Or just buy multiple screens. I'm, yeah. Oh man, that's a lot of yeah. money. We haven't talked about the worst of all of this. Robin, do you think you get a charger in the box when you buy these cars? <laughs> Uh, car expensive phones? Uh, no. <laughs> I can't believe they're still doing this to us. Why did we ever let them get away with it? Pre-order this is why so a, charging, a charging plug. Apple started this. I'll never forgive them. I can't believe it. And how much did they, did they say how much a charger cost, Robin? Uh, so they didn't give precise pricing. I think they're going to be new 45-watt chargers that are going to be rolled out along with these new phones. Uh, we actually chatted to the uh, Justin Hume, who is the Director for Integrated Mobility at Samsung South Africa, about that very point. And his reasoning was this. Uh, and uh, I'm not going to say it's right. I'm going to say it's wrong. This is just what he said. So as far as the chargers go, 
that's going to be that's going to be standard no matter what. Um, I know that we have issues with regards to some of the A series devices having chargers in the box, but an S series device, which is more expensive, doesn't have one. As far as Samsung is concerned, uh, in terms of their sustainability goals, that's yeah. not going to change. Um, and the reasoning is simply the fact that someone that is purchasing an S series device more than likely has a charger, so they see no reason to. Do you need a solar charger when you sell the fuck? They see no reason to add it into the box, and unfortunately, the chances of that changing are slim to none at this stage. So, so they should yeah. just stop selling chargers then altogether. Yeah. I mean, if everybody has one, there's no need to keep selling them, Samsung. Yeah. That's, that's a good point, Brendan. I mean, if, if, everybody, if everybody that buys a Samsung phone has a charger, it stands to reason, using your logic, Samsung, that nobody needs a charger anymore. So stop selling them. Oh, wait, people still need chargers? Put it in the box! <laughs> my bloody Samsung charger on my Note 9 died as well. So I would have to, before I actually abandoned that phone, um, for various reasons, the battery was also dying. Um, so it's not like these things even last as long as the phones are attached to it. And especially these higher wattage ones, which get very hot. Um, I can't believe it. I wonder how many people who aren't into tech have bought these phones and gone home and not found the charger in them and sworn off technology altogether and moved into the woods. Because it's one of the most BS things that's ever happened in this industry. Yeah, I could probably stomach it more if you say, if, for example, the A-series phones didn't have one in the box. And I'll say fair enough. If you're doing it across the board... And especially, sorry, Robin, I don't want to keep talking over this and sound like an angry nerd, but those phones can use cheap chargers that you can buy at the grocery store for a hundred bucks because they don't have special charging requirements. These more powerful ones do usually. That's how you, they get you. Got to buy the expensive charger with your expensive phone so that you have an expensive setup that you have to replace you with more money when it breaks. You need to pay extra to access a feature that they sold you on in terms of the fast charging and the, the capacity and all of that. Yeah. <laughs> so, and, before yes. we wrap up, I, I want to ask, um, even though I'm pretty sure that they don't care, um, what do we think Apple's response here is going to be this year? Because, as we mentioned earlier, um, Apple is possibly Samsung's biggest competitor at the moment. So, do we see Apple just continuing the same thing it's always done, or do we see them kind of try and and make a leap forward and uh, try and gain some of Samsung's market share? Robin, what do you think? Well, they're going to release the most powerful iPhone ever, right? Uh, absolutely. Absolutely. Every year. Um, yeah, uh, Apple's in a weird spot for me because as far as the silicon goes, I think they're probably ahead of a lot of competitors at the moment, mm -hmm. but their hardware is just so lackluster and boring. Um, the fact that we still have that ugly screen notch in the year 2022 makes, makes no sense to me. This is a company that kind of pioneered smartphones, mm. and you're telling me you guys can't, after so many years, you guys can't take care of the notch. It makes no sense to me. So, um, yeah. Uh, Again, I think they're in the same spot that Samsung are. They don't have to necessarily radically innovate their devices. Um, they, all, it, all they have to do is make sure it's packing the latest specifications, uh, it's relatively solid, and the rest will kind of take care of itself. Clinton? You know what they could do? They could put the charger back in the box and uh. make, make fun of Samsung for not including the charger. And... Yeah, can you imagine? We, we, this becomes like a game with chicken between these companies. Oh, oh, are we just involved in a billionaire's pissing contest at this point? Yeah, I feel like I we mean, are. Isn't the economy just a pissing contest between companies? Yeah, it is. Fair enough. It. Fair enough. Um, yeah, so like Robin said, I, I don't think they're going to do anything exciting. Um, there's still no word on an Apple folding phone or any kind of weird Apple phone. Um, they don't really need to do anything because, yes, they are a competitor with Samsung, but not really because they're two different ecosystems. I don't think they're going to do anything big this year, especially with the chip shortages still continuing. Um, I think both companies kind of have some spice packed away in the in the storeroom that they can't do yet because of problems. 
Um, what that spice is, you know, who's to say? Um, Robin, before we end off, do these things have uh, headphone jacks anymore? Or are they still uh, dead? No, they do not. Oh my God. They, they, that's, why you the, that's why you got to pre order the bundle with the buds. Yeah, the wireless buds that you have to charge. Uh, it's, it's great for um, load shedding, you know. Uh, yeah, so that's the Galaxy S22 series. Um, I am very, very not impressed uh, by anything that Samsung announced. Uh, like Robin mentioned, it just feels like we're going through the paces now. Um, Apple, like both of you, I don't expect them to do anything major, though I would be impressed if they did. If Apple announced a folding phone, you just know Apple fans would lose their minds and talk about how it's the first one ever. Yeah. I just, I can see it happening. They're going to do like an advert that says world's first folding phone and then between the two words in microscopic font says Apple. No, they'll they'll come up with some special name for it. I'm Um, sure a lot of people don't even know folding phones exist. And when Apple does it, they'll be like, oh my God, we're living in the future. Like we saw this 10 years ago. What are you talking about? Yeah. So, uh, yeah, not much to get excited about. I think... Most of us are in agreement that the mid-range is where you should be looking for smartphones. Um, if you are somebody that likes the high-end, I suppose, keep an eye out for the Galaxy's release in March. Um, but yeah, not much to get excited about, is there? It's a pity. I remember getting very excited about new smartphone launches every year. and Now it's just... Maybe, maybe I'm old. Maybe I'm the problem. Maybe it's me. <laughs> no, it's the children who are wrong, Brendan. Anyway, that's going to wrap it up from us for this week. Thank you so much for tuning in. Uh, from myself, Brendan Lodge, Cheerio from Pits Matos. Bye, everybody. And from Robin Lee Chetty. Take care, everyone. We'll see you next week. Goodbye. Bye. Cheerio. We're sorry, the number you have dialed is not in service at this time.